0: hi i'm elise
1: and i'm matt and welcome to pod wraiths a star trek deep space 9 podcast if this is your first time joining us we're two friends watching star trek deep space 9 and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite star trek series
0: this week we're talking about season one episode seven "Cueless," list teleplay by robert hewitt wolf and directed by paul lynch This episode aired on February 6th, 1993.
1: This week on Deep Space Nine, archaeologist Vash arrives from the Gamma Quadrant as Q plagues the station. Also, an unknown force threatens to destroy Deep Space Nine.
0: So today we actually have a guest on our show, our friend Ryan. Um, Ryan, please introduce yourself and tell us your Star Trek slash DS9 origin story.
2: Sure. uh, Happy to be here. Uh, my name is Ryan Silverstein. I am a film critic uh, and associate editor over at MovieJohn.com, which is a website and a zine and a podcast network. Um, but I have had a lifelong back and forth with Star Trek. Um, I sort of I grew up as like a Star Wars kid and sort of resisted Star Trek for a long time, if only because uh, my father was a big TOS fan, and my relationship with him, uh, we are both very similar and very dissimilar in ways that have always led us to have a sort of combative relationship. Um, So my relationship with Star Trek has sort of been stops and starts, and it wasn't until college when I had a bunch of other friends who were into Star Trek, and we used to get together to watch different random episodes every week. Um, But I, even growing up, I did like the movies, especially uh, the original series, movies, then I sort of got into TNG. Um, I would say that Deep Space Nine is overall probably my favorite Star Trek series, but also the one that I came to latest. Um, so the... Um, I actually didn't watch DS9 um, like until it was on uh, streaming service. So I think it was probably one of the first things I watched once like the whole series was streaming on uh, Netflix. So... That way I could finally watch it in order instead of trying to catch random episodes. Because I always understood that it was more serialized and continuity heavy um, than other Star Trek series. Which, you know, I like that there are sort of different flavors that way. Uh, But I really came to love this cast uh, and this crew and these characters. Um, And the reason I actually picked this episode in part is uh, not only do I enjoy the title guest character of Q... Uh, but this was probably the first episode of DS9 I ever actually watched, because I had gotten the, um, at one point in the early 2000s, it, it looks like it, this came out in 2006, they had come out with these uh, Star Trek fan collective DVD releases, uh, right. so, like I, yeah, so I, I could never afford the whole season, um, you know, growing up we had a They're couple so of VHS tapes. they were, Um You know, growing up, we had some random VHS tapes. Like, I know we had, like, Trouble with Triples on VHS, and we had Yesterday's Enterprise. Uh, But this was the first time where you could buy, like, a chunk of themed episodes. And so we had gotten the uh, Time Travel uh, compendium and the Q compendium, which each had, like, 12 episodes from, you know, every Star Trek series. Well, the Q one obviously only had uh, Next Generation, this Deep Space Nine episode, and a handful of Voyager episodes that he appeared on. Uh, because from the first time I saw Q, I was always fascinated by him. I really, for whatever reason, enjoyed that here's this like, I would say like middle, like not quite hard sci-fi, not quite space fantasy series that, you know, um, has thrown in godlike beings before, but I really liked that he was sort of a recurring, um, antagonist of sorts, but not an outright villain. So I've always been a fan of Q and so this, getting that, um, release, on DVD, like I said, this is probably the first episode of DS9 that I actually actually watched and paid attention to.
0: I didn't know that they put those out there, those um, themed sets. That sounds really cool. To, so, like, dip, dip your toes in.
1: Totally, and I had the time travel one as well. I think there was, like, a Klingon one, and there was, like, a Borg one. Oh, I would get the like Klingon that. one for sure. <laughs> of course you would. Love
0: um, those Klingons.
1: No, because when they first started releasing, like... Star Trek on DVD. I want to say even for that time, the seasons were were very expensive for a single season of television, just because like that was new. Like I want to say that like and again, of course, this is going to be in Canadian dollars, not not U.S. dollars. But like I want to say that they were like 130 or 140 dollars, like regularly priced for like one season or something like that. They're they're quite expensive. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just for reference, that's 103 US dollars, which is still insane. That's well,
1: yeah, good. and those would have been like 2005 era, 2004 era, like dollars too. So, like, yeah. just for like whatever inflation has been for the last 20 years. Right, and then
2: readjust for whatever the value of the DVD actually is these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, these collections were really cool. They had uh, the time travel and the Q1, I think they were each like four discs. Like I said, they had a dozen episodes. Um, and it was nice to get like, you know, I always, I've always i always loved time travel stories. I've always enjoyed Q. So it was kind of nice just getting like, oh, here's a bunch of Star Trek episodes I can watch whenever I want that are like the ones that I would yeah. probably rewatch the most anyway. So,
0: so smart. Just want to say it comes back around to being one hundred thirty dollars US in uh, <laughs> two
2: thousand twenty one
0: money.
1: <laughs> Do you have the inflation calculator, like bookmarked Elise, or what?
0: Um, no, I'm just a really quick Googler. Googler that's all.
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs> no listeners, uh, uh, every time Elise guests on my <laughs> Mad Men podcast, still great, Bob. Um, they are always very good at at. You know, when we're talking about money in, in the 60s and and using the inflation calculator. You need to so know what it means Yeah, no, I it's for something today. I really appreciate about you. Anytime you someone podcast. gets a
0: raise, I'm like, how much is that in, in 2021 money? Yeah. And it's always insane. Like, it's always so much money. <laughs>
1: All right well I think now we can can kind of transition and I guess we'll start with what were what were your initial thoughts on the episode and I guess Ryan I'll put you on the spot a bit and I'll start with you and then we can can
2: go to Elise. Uh, Sure yeah my overall thoughts on this episode uh, again like not having watched it in probably close to a decade uh, I forgot how little story there is in this episode. Uh, I went back And I also watched Cupid, which is uh, the episode that brings Q and Vash together, um, which then I even went further back because I forgot that this was actually, uh, that this DS9 episode is the third appearance of Vash in Star Trek. Um, So in comparison to those other two episodes, this one is really light on story. Uh, The story that is here is not great. I feel like uh, you know, looking through the synopses for a lot of these uh, first season episodes of Deep Space Nine, they were leaning really heavily on um, next generation guest characters in order to, mm-hmm. you know, draw fans over. But I think that actually was a detriment because. Mm-hmm. Uh, Q feels like the main character in this episode and yet he also doesn't get a lot to do so he's like taking the spotlight away from these characters that we don't know very well yet and then also they're still not giving him that much to do because they haven't figured out what his relationship with any of them should be so this episode kind of feels like it's all over the place and just you know is like strung together very thinly I felt like.
0: I'm nodding the whole time that you're talking because I agree with all of that. It, It really felt um like when we had the Dura sisters in um, past prologue, I loved them, but it just also felt like we we're just trying to pull TNG characters to keep people interested, and for you know those of us who now love Deep Space Nine, it's obviously we don't think that that was. I'm not going to speak for everyone, but I don't feel like that was necessary. Um, but yeah, I did find one thing that I absolutely loved in this episode, and it was um, the Vash and Quark. Um, relationship I just want them to have their own series where she goes to different planets collecting illegal artifacts and then comes back to Deep Space Nine to auction them off with Cork and like have them just have this fun like auction show like I would I would watch that like maybe Antiques Roadshow but like with auction <laughs> I think that would be really awesome
1: yeah and and i think i didn't i didn't end up rewatching captain's holiday or or cupid the two previous next generation yeah next generation like vash episodes um i just i wonder i feel like i think i enjoy vash more as a character playing off against picard right because i like they do have a chemistry on screen and like Vash is a bit more, like, roguish, and, you know, we know that, that Picard's a bit more of that kind of bookish, has that has that bookishness, and, like, the attraction that's there and then the contrast that's that's there as well is something I think I really, I really enjoyed and was kind of missing. I don't know, like, without that, and even though I think they're trying to replicate some of that with some of the Vash and Q stuff, um... I feel like Fosh didn't get a lot to do in this episode contrasted with her other appearances on Star Trek. Um I don't know, Ryan, you, you recently rewatched them more than I did what am I am I in the ballpark or, or no?
2: It, totally. I mean she's clearly written as a foil for Jean Luc and, you know, her whole character is developed in opposition to him from a writing sense and so like they are meant to be foils and so they have this back and forth and the uh you know Jean-Luc goes back and forth between like I'm really attracted to this person but I really am ethically uncomfortable (laughs) with their lifestyle and I think that's a very fun dynamic and there is none of that here um you know you have Uh, Bashir, who is just completely, I mean, horny for her the minute that he (laughs) lays eyes on her. More
0: on that later. (laughs) Uh,
2: You know, and same thing with Quark, but at least with Quark, there's, like, a common interest there that, like, it's, like, who's playing who, you know, and they have, like, at least that back and forth. Um, And even in the uh, Q-Pit episode, like, the her and Q leaving together sort of is, like, the late, it's, like, the last, you know, uh, act twist on the whole episode, where it's set up as, like, this love story between Vash and Picard and then at the end Q's like oh you're also a you know um uh, like almost like a true neutral if we're talking like DD alignments like we're chaotic neutral uh let's go and be chaotic neutral together and like you can see some cool stuff and then you know this episode opens with her and Q I guess essentially broken up she's been living in the Gamma Quadrant Obviously, everybody on Deep Space Nine is confused as to how she even got there, because they don't know the story, and O'Brien wasn't in those episodes. Uh, <laughs> Thank so... you! That was going to be my other question for you! <laughs> <laughs> um, that's one of the reasons I went back, and it's very much a uh, you know a check off not being in Space Seed, but encountering Khan in Deep Space Nine. Oh, kind of so
0: I had said the same thing in my
2: notes. <laughs> uh, or, it or Wrath of, of Khan, Wrath of actually. Khan.
0: Yeah. I need to everyone to know that i just learned that the chaotic neutral etc etc is D alignment related i had no idea where that came from <laughs> i just have been pretending on the internet for 10 years that I any of that
2: meant <laughs> continue <laughs> uh so I, I i i do like how they lampshade that and we can, we can talk more about that a little bit later but i think i think you're right matt in comparison like, Vash doesn't have a ton to do, and I think she is very interesting as sort of this femme fatale-like uh, character, and I at I, least agree with you that, like, her and, and Quark have the most, uh, not even, like, chemistry, but just the most, like, interesting relationship, but I don't think her relationship with Q is actually all that interesting, and it sort of feels like the writers didn't know what to do, and, like, Q is sort of the... Like I do like the idea of hey here's this omnipotent omniscient being, uh, and he's infatuated with like the what the one woman he can control, which is like kind of its own weird trope I feel like in a way, and I just don't feel like there's any like Vash isn't into enough for it to even register as some something I should care about if that makes sense.
0: It makes sense to me. And it's
1: interesting too that that you mentioned that because in doing kind of some some background research and reading I've found some some Robert Hewitt Wolf quote so this is his, his first writing credit on Deep Space nine was one of the kind of members of the the writing staff that's pretty instrumental in in crafting a lot of what Deep Space 9 grows into along with Ira Steven bear um and I think Hewitt Wolf ends up leaving after the fifth season um but anyways this is his first credit episode and there's a quote saying that originally, when they started working on it the story pitch that they were working on was just a Vosh story that q wasn't wasn't part of it and they were having trouble making the making this episode work with just Vosh and then brought q in as as something i think was more familiar to them as as writers moving over from from tng and kind of you know trying to to break the story and make it work a bit better And so it just kind of makes me wonder what this episode would have been like without Q, for better or for worse. And I think it's pretty telling that all of our discussion on our initial thoughts and kind of, you know, in in the episode and things like that, we are focusing on the two guest star characters and not our main cast of TNG. And And I think, too, that's where I find this episode more egregious than the Duras sisters cameo in past prologue because that's kind of like in past prologue, it's like they could be anyone. So why not? it be the Duras sisters. Like, mm-hmm. and I mean, we love a boob window, don't we folks? Um, Hell
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: but it's just like, they come in and they kind of take over the episode and, and there's kind of some, some interesting things to, you know, when you're, you're poking around memory alpha and some of the other quotes and texts about the production of this episode and John Delancey having played Q for, five seasons and coming into the show that's shooting their seventh episode and kind of the different dynamics that that brought in as as you know you have these new characters and Avery Brooks is the the lead of the new cast and then you have this well-established Trek character for five seasons and TNG alumni coming in and basically gets to um kind of steal the show so that would have been it's kind of an interesting dynamic but it's not it's not one I like, and full disclosure, this is my least favorite episode of the the six and a half or seven that we've we've watched so far for the podcast. Yeah,
2: yeah I, I, would... I, uh, I agree right,
1: go
0: ahead at No, and I was just, um, I was also kind of looking on memory alpha and stuff, and it just i'm getting ahead of myself but like the whole vosh q dynamic in this episode felt very like controlling ex-boyfriend to me right and that doesn't feel like what q was about previous. and even um john delancey was like q this is a quote from him q is best used when he deals with large philosophical issues and skirt chasing isn't Just isn't one of them. And I felt like that really, like, I don't think he even liked this episode that much. It just doesn't feel like something he would do. Which is good because it didn't feel that great. And I didn't, I didn't like that whole dynamic. It was like, if I can't have you, I'm just gonna, like, fuck up your shit. Like, I just didn't like
2: it at all. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, and I think there is something interesting there. But again, I don't. I also don't think the episode actually explores that in any meaningful way. Um, to me, like w- my takeaway watching this was like this was a so-so at so best episode of just generic Star Trek, and this is but yeah. this is a, a bad episode of Deep Space Nine because it doesn't really feel like a Deep Space Nine episode. I mean, the my the the thing i enjoyed the the like scene i actually probably enjoyed the most in this episode was actually cisco boxing with q because at least that was like absurd enough and sort of like fun and it was kind of cool to see uh those two actors share a scene together in in a sequence that is you know very surreal and you know john delancey has like a big mustache and everything and I was like, man, if this was, if this was Q sort of like trying out some of his, the way that he messes with Picard, but it was provided as a contrast and shoring up Cisco's character, it would be a better episode even. Like even if it was still really Q-centric, um, again, like he doesn't have any sort of, you know, we, we only get a little bit, a little hint, I think, of how Cisco is different from Picard, which I feel like is something that the show is still trying to sort out for itself.
0: Right. I feel like Sisko's reaction to Q was very like, Ain't nobody got time for this. <laughs> like he just was <laughs> not interested in dealing with Q at all. And I feel like Picard kind of engages a little bit more with him. Or I mean the writers have him do that anyway.
1: Yeah, and there's there's another really interesting Robert Hewitt wolf the uh the writer who we were mentioning before in the episode of him Talking about this scene and, and comparing and contrasting Picard and, and Sisko, which is something that I think they really tried to do even early on with the, the Picard cameos in, in Emissary. Um, and this comes from Captain's Log Supplemental, The Unauthorized Guide to New Trek Voyages. And Hewitt Wolf says, Picard is an explorer. And, sorry, Hewitt Wolf says, Picard is an explorer, and in some ways, very much an intellectual. Sisko was a builder, a different kind of guy. He wears his heart a little more on his sleeve and he acts on emotion, on instinct, more than Picard. So basically Hewitt Wolf is saying that Sisko is a feeler and Picard is a thinker. But I really like that that idea of, of Sisko as as a builder and a doer. Whereas Picard, and I think this is also representative of what we know of both characters and kind of both both shows and what they become into it's like picard is very much you know kind of the the academic in the white ivory tower of a university office somewhere right um and cisco's the one doing the building he's the one leading and working with a mutual aid society instead of you know reading reading his his marxist texts in his, his office and you know just teaching students and being a good mentor to to do the building whereas like yeah, I really like that idea of, of Cisco as the doer and as the builder. And it would have been nice if the episode dug into that more, but instead we get uh, an average TNG episode that features the DS9 cast.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just felt like, even, and I feel like even the writers later on were like realizing that they didn't further any of the DS9 cast in any way in this episode. They didn't, the story wasn't about them at all, so it felt like Exactly what you're saying. Like it was a TNG episode that just happened to have the DS9 cast in it.
2: Yeah, and, and I think my my other big problem with this episode is that it's built around this uh it's actually the what's actually driving the DS9 side of the plot. Like what, you know, O'Brien and Cisco and Kira are all actively investigating, it's just a very unsatisfying mystery because it ends up being. Uh, this crystal that's like moving the station from the gamma quadrant, which turns out to be something else. And but, like, the way that epi- the way the mystery is constructed, it's just them like standing around in um the like op center, just spouting meaningless, you know, like techno battle back and forth, being like, you know, Ryan being like, oh, like if we had like Federation sensors, like we would have found this by now. And like, it's just there's nothing compelling. Like, Q isn't like he's a passive antagonist in this like he's not causing chaos he's sitting back and being like look i'm not your biggest problem right now like bad things are happening around you and you don't even understand what's going on but like it's not even in like a taunting way it's just enough like you know he's got his own thing going on with vash and like the station is trying to deal with this and those things are connected but they're just i don't know there's like nothing there
0: i feel like he's just watching it like we are <laughs> like
2: He's just mm-hmm. not participating. Literally,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, he's just sitting there, like especially during the auction scene. He's just sitting there, like watching everything happen, and like I can't even tell if he knows what's going on. <laughs> I don't know. He probably did, but
1: no, I definitely think he knows what's going on, and I think it's it's pretty clear, like in in the auction stuff. But he just is so focused on his hurt feelings or like weird unhealthy attachment to vosh that like he like doesn't care and like yeah i don't even know like like passive antagonist yes but i don't even like i don't even know if he is the antagonist in this episode like it's just this whole episode is like kind of devoid of any sort of like drama and like the mystery is yeah
0: I like mean, it's inherent? all, like, an accident. Like, they don't... It's not like anyone was doing anything on purpose. It was just... I don't know. It still feels so mundane. I know. Right? You know what I really hated, like, so much? I hate it. I literally hated the scene where um, Q, like, tells Vosh that she's gonna be, like, nothing without him, and then just, like, grow old and alone, and then he just makes her look older and just felt so disgusting to
1: me. Yeah. I, I think like he's like, he is trying to tell her that like she owes him because he saved her from that weird bug bite. And like, that's what would have happened if, if he wasn't there. And it's just like, yeah, it's gross. I don't know.
0: Women are, there's so much pressure on women and to be hot and look young. And I just felt like that was preying on those insecurities so badly. Right. I just really hated it. I just didn't like Q at all in this episode.
2: Yeah. And I think that all ties back to that other quote, Elise, that you mentioned before around like Q is best used when he deals with large philosophical issues. Like when he is going up against Picard, it's this fun mix of a personal Thing where he is like just really into <laughs> Picard and like wants to see, wants to challenge him and wants to poke and prod at him and just to see what he's going to do. Right. Um, you know, but it's all in the service of like, I'm also challenging humanity. Like I've decided that exactly. Picard, like, exactly. yeah, there's a larger purpose to it. It's not just personal. And so for here, I, I agree with you with it being just like, no, I'm really like, yeah, it's it's gross because again, like the, the series... This, the episode doesn't address how creepy that is at all. Um, like, it just sort of ends. It's not... Like, again, it, like, it would be interesting for Q to behave that way and for them then the episode to demonstrate that that behavior is bad. But here it just feels like it's, quote-unquote, nor- like, it feels very normalized in a way that is right. kind of gross.
0: Mm-hmm. We kind of got ahead of ourselves. <laughs> That's it's fine. I mean, no, it's, no, no. It's not yeah. a criticism of us. I'm just trying to collect my thoughts and like i think
1: too that like maybe not so much on on voyager i haven't watched the q episodes of voyager in in a minute um but q on but q on next generation being you know in the pilot of of tng and, and being a character that was created by gene roddenberry and his his rewrite of dc fontana's original script for encounter at farpoint um q kind of is roddenberry's version of god right so like from a certain point of view star wars reference but like from a certain point of view we have tng like at least at the start these like hyper evolved humans who have risen beyond the need for you know material wants needs before like without the need for like the divine now the divine is putting them on on trial for you know their their barbarity and and you know have they risen above it and haven't they so on and so forth and i think that's why q working with those kind of bigger broader prodding interests but like philosophical themes works whereas here like it doesn't and like i think if this episode had leaned in more to some of those some of those tropes and those ideas those those concepts of of q and kind of those kind of you know coding and, and underpinnings it could have been interesting when especially when Q seems uninterested in, in the mystery and, and knowing that the station's hurling into the wormhole and its own destruction and that humanity hasn't, hasn't figured it out. And I don't know if my brain is going here because I, as I was doing my show notes, I was listening to the latest Sufjan Stevens album, but the idea of like the indifference of the divine in terms of our, our struggles as, as sentient species, humanities, Bajorans, you know, Ferengi, whomever, as we kind of figure out our, our own shit, um, could have been interesting, but instead we just have, like, the bad ex-boyfriend and I don't like it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like you just described an episode that would have been a lot more interesting than what we were given. (laughs) I would have watched that one and, and had a lot more interesting things to say about it because, well, I'm also an atheist, so there's that. But it is interesting to think about the concept of God not really helping or hurting us. It's, if God exists, they're just there. That would definitely be more interesting than what we got. Uh,
2: and even on the the Vash side of things, I feel like there's a lot of, there's definitely ground to cover where you have, you know, the human that has spent the most time in the Gamma Quadrant is someone who is driven by profit more than driven by exploration. And I think, you know, th- maybe that's more of a, a Vash Picard <laughs> storyline that actually works, but you know, I think uh, like Cisco wants her to go to the Daystrom Institute and like report on everything, and she's like, "No, I went Latinum." Like, I think that's also an interesting conflict that isn't actually brought up as a conflict in the episode. Uh,
0: uh, what's it called? Cisco's like that belongs in a museum. just <laughs> <laughs> <is> like no. <laughs>
1: I mean, and we don't have this in the notes yet, and it's just kind of a thought that came to me and I, so apologies it's a little off topic but like the existence of characters like vosh as as a foil to to Picard originally next gen and you know her her kind of kindred spirit with with the ferengi ethos and and things like that um i think is like a point in the win column for star trek Picard which you know first season airing airing last year and kind of how it felt very different from from TNG and things like this and the, and the state of the galaxy and things like that as feeling more like contemporary in some ways and like quote like less evolved than what we are used to on on the Enterprise D and it's like these these people did exist in, in um in in 90s Trek they're just kind of on the perimeters and where our guest stars so uh take that haters even though Picard's not my favorite but take that haters
0: (laughs) I keep thinking about how um, Q made Julian sleep for the whole episode (laughs) and I just it goes that goes as part of the uh, creepy ex-boyfriend behavior that Q is showing like if I can't have you no one can and I just it just makes me think that we could have had so many more interesting things of the cast dealing with Q and we didn't get any of it
2: yeah I I think that's a a great point too because again like I think bring in I think the right way to bring in existing characters into the show is to help define the new characters uh you know either in comparison or contrast by then and like I think Bashir is an interesting character because he is kind of a know-it-all and Q is obviously literally a know-it-all and so I think Like, I just, I I want this whole, I want, John Delancey's so good at just repartee and being able to play off many different kinds of performances, and it's just so low energy compared to his his TNG appearances, and from my memory, his Voyager appearances, which are also not great, but uh, just in the way that he, I don't really like the way that he treats Janeway, but that's a that's a different that's an episode for a different podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I haven't watched Voyager yet, so I am I'll have to look for that when I when I do. I did I actually did really like the scene with Q in uh, Vosh's quarters. Even forget whatever they were saying to each other because that was part of the behavior I didn't like, but I. The physical humor of, like, every time she, like, unloaded all of her stuff and, like, started putting her bags away, he, like, kept putting the bag back on her shoulder. Like, the, the physical humor of that was really funny to me. Um, I just, anytime they were talking, I was, like, grossed out. But, I don't know. I really did like the, it just went, it just, when you um, said how he, like, likes to play off of people, like, that reminded me of that scene with like she's
2: trying to put all her stuff and anyway yeah I, I, I definitely agree with that I, I enjoyed that that back and forth like I said' you know like you said sans sans context maybe I, I do think uh, that even compared to you know the other early TNG appearances of Q at least I do think the editing uh, and the the speed at which they sort of let Q pop around was actually really well executed. Uh, and I was reading on Memory Alpha that it was apparently like pretty difficult to pull off but I think you know there's a lot of early TNG where he like will like snap his fingers and there's like a there's like a pause where clearly like John Delancey like ran off set and then they like started filming again (laughs) Um, you know where there's like better edited (laughs) yeah it was just better put together it felt a little more modern in terms of the way that they were doing those sort of like smash cuts and even his costume changes and stuff. I thought that like on a technical level, I thought it was actually an improvement over uh, his TNG appearances. And like, I think as they were learning how to do that, that especially works well for comedy.
0: Yeah. You have to be on point for comedy. Yeah. I, and
2: I, again, like uh, the auction scene, I also think is one of the, one of the few bright spots in the episode, because I just think the way that it's put together and, the chemistry that uh vash and quark have is very funny and charming uh to your earlier point at least about their their gamma Quadrant roadshow uh
0: (laughs) oh i would love it called that that's great (laughs) i'll have to start writing the first episode um i just thought it was funny how um she was trying to give all the information about every um Item and he's basically like, You're boring everyone. This is something that no one else can ever have. Like, he was going for that angle and just less interesting, less sorry, less info, make everything seem more unique is his uh, auction style. And it was very funny. I did not appreciate Q calling my boy Quark a disgusting troll. I was so sad. I was like, I love him. But, um, I think the I just love the Quark Bash relationship. I you know first <clears throat> you know like he wants to do business with her but she just keeps pulling one over on him with the Umax and his and her feminine wiles and that part was a lot of fun for me. Just like spy or spy or something like it just seemed like they were never knew who was winning
2: (laughs) yeah it's very uh mr and mrs mr and mrs smith
0: i haven't Uh, seen that i need to watch that uh
2: and i i was really worried at the beginning of the episode when you know bashir is like i mean one i enjoy him telling his exam story the way that he would write a spy novel which i think is a really fun
0: (laughs) i have uh, more on that on that spy uh
2: or that story later. Uh, and so, like, when we got to his interaction with Vash, and then we got Quark's interaction with Vosh, I was like, oh, is this going to be, like, everyone's horny for the girl, get, get, like, the female guest star episode? And oh, so I right, was,
0: right.
2: Yeah, I was very relieved when uh, both Cisco and O'Brien just had no time for Vosh. <laughs> like, none of her charms yeah. had any effect on either of them whatsoever. And I, I really appreciate that, because that, that's a trope that gets really tired.
0: Yeah, I don't like that either.
1: Did we want to talk about the very, very compelling mystery
0: of the episode? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Do you mean when Kira said, "What's Q?" and I almost said, "I'll do you one better." Why is Q? Um, <laughs>
1: it's the I've definitely time games come up in a podcast I've been recorded. this week. <laughs> <laughs> I have
0: seen Infinity War in Endgame way too many times, and that track's code just makes me laugh every time. I know that's not what
2: you meant, but I had to throw that in there. <laughs> uh, There's I, power I,
0: problems.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I did enjoy, uh, especially in this with you know the when Q it sort of steps into the mystery storyline for a moment. I, I like that he uses the phrase techno babble, which I feel like is a a fan term that people thrown around, rightly so when star trek just sort of makes up a bunch of words uh that don't really make any sense but they're they're using it for drama and tension um so i i appreciated the lampshading at least because i was like okay at least the writers know that they are just shouting nonsense at each other and it is yeah. here it, it's not compelling because again like there's no there's no like forward thrust to the mystery it's just them being like well in this scanner it shows that it's this and it's a uh, and you
0: know, it's yeah, fine. I think I don't remember if it was one of our like test episodes that we were doing or if it was on episode that is going to be released, but I remember talking to Matt about um how um for Janeway, um I can Kate Mulgrew like was trying to understand all of her lines and she was like, It doesn't make any sense to me and then she had to like just decide to not worry about understanding what she was saying and just deliver the lines because otherwise it would just take way too much time and energy to be performing in that role. And it just felt like, you know, she was like, I'm not going to worry about the Technobabble. Just leave it alone.
2: Yeah, and, and Voyager, I feel like, is the biggest culprit of all when it comes to techno babble in terms of <laughs> at least this era of Star Trek. There are a, a lot of episodes that are just like, I don't even know what they're trying to say happened. They're just shouting at each other and doing things. Because it was meant to be a more action show. While I, you know, and Deep Space Nine is a more character show, I think is the, you know, probably reductive, but shorthand for right. what makes the two series different. Um, so to see it here was like, I, I don't know. I, I was kind of a, like, I, I was annoyed that, you know, Kira doesn't really have anything to do. Zach
0: um, you know, especially to
2: do. Yeah, Dax has something Fairly. to do. Uh, Odo is in like one scene that doesn't do yeah. anything because it's just like Quark yelling. At did him he even change about...
0: into any? Did Odo change into anything in this episode? If he did, I missed
2: it. Uh, I don't think he did. I think it was just Quark asking him if he was like, "Were you a lamp? Were you like a wastebasket? <laughs> like, you know, how do you know? How do you know my business or whatever?" And I was right. like, this scene doesn't need to be in this episode. It's not adding anything." <laughs>
0: They had to pay Renee for something, I guess. <laughs> so was the power problem that was happening on? De- I couldn't follow this. Was the- whatever was happening on Deep Space Nine the same thing that happened on that shuttle?
1: The runabout, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, Be- because of the, uh, yeah, because of the um, not quartz egg thing that yeah. <laughs> that hatched into the the. The glittered space, a luminous being that was the space manta ray or whatever it was. I
0: had very risky business feelings about the gem. I was like, waiting for it to almost break or something. Spoiler alert for risky business and the <laughs> OC episode about the egg.
1: <laughs>
0: anyway.
1: <laughs> I'm when dancing. he did. Ooh, what to say? <laughs> I should probably stop singing because I'm just going
0: to have to cut it out. So.
1: <laughs> Making more work for myself And that later.
0: episode has nothing to do with that song. So. No, Actually, but that's where
1: my brain goes with the yeah. OC. I
0: mean, Trey I've... was in that episode, so it's semi-related. He's the one that stole the egg, right?
2: Um... I did, my. I think my least favorite line in the episode actually was Q throwing shade at the Deep Space Nine crew. And he's like, oh, you know, the Enterprise people would have figured this out. Like, you know, basically implying that like they would have figured this out like in the first act of the episode. <laughs> and it's like, it's a little rude when you're, you know, the guest star. Too. He was <laughs> like, very
0: insulting of all of Deep Space Nine. I mean, he told Cisco that he got a bum deal working on this uh, space station, basically.
2: Yeah, it it made me feel like maybe there was somebody in the writer's room who was a little resentful that they were shunted to the spinoff show.
0: (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. I feel like this was one of the first original scripts that they wrote that wasn't originally supposed to be for something else.
1: Well, and it's it's interesting, because at least in the notes here, you have another Robert Hewitt Wolf quote from the official Star Trek Deep Space Nine magazine, issue five. Where Hewitt Wolf says, looking back on it, I would say that the story had some problems, and I don't, and I didn't, I would say the story had some problems that I didn't see when I came in. Almost no one had written a Deep Space Nine episode before that time. q just didn't have enough emotional impact for our characters, because Q was familiar to me from the next generation, and he was so fun to write, I concentrated a little too much on him, and not enough on our regular characters. That's the show's flaw." And then it goes on to say, Wolf also felt Cisco's scene with Q did not go far enough in the episode. And this is back to, to Wolf's quote. It was important for us to do, but I don't think it was enough. Sure, Cisco is not Picard, but Cisco is Cisco. The episode didn't show enough of who Cisco is, or any of the others for that matter, with the exception of Quark. But Quark's pretty easy to figure mm-hmm. out.
0: Yeah, so definitely th- resting on our laurels a little bit there. Yeah, I, think. I feel like as someone who watched Deep Space Nine first, like I have zero interest in comparing Cisco and Picard. They are two different people, and I don't need to see how they react to similar situations differently. I just will enjoy them each individually on their respective shows. And I feel like this episode tried to do that, and I. It didn't
2: work for me. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm very territorial when it comes to the characters. So, like, if Cisco is on the Enterprise, I'm very much like, why is he being a dick to Picard? And if, like, Picard's <laughs> on Deep Space Nine, I'm like, why is he being such a dick to Cisco? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I like them being, like, having their own stuff going on. And, like, yeah. you know, I feel like Picard can... Picard's very good on other, like, being... Addict to people on other shows i feel like you know when he's not in like when he's on the enterprise i'm like all right he's in charge like he may be a little bit you know uh, brisk with people or blunt but like he's right. the captain like that's how it goes yeah but, you no know. i got you <laughs> i wish this episode was better i i think i think you're right that you know we could easily write three different alternate versions of this episode that would be just that much better uh than what we actually got here
0: yeah I feel like we started talking about the power drainage and then got off topic, which is you know something I love I love getting off topic but I couldn't figure out what so I guess the station was being sucked toward sucked into or being brought towards the wormhole I assume it was because that manta ray looking thing at the end wanted to go mm-hmm. back to the wormhole. Was that the whole the whole thing? That was that, that, that guy wanted to go home?
2: That's my that's my takeaway. And he was like, home <laughs> this is to the wormhole. If I have to move <laughs> this whole station to do it, then so be it. Uh from inside my little egg box. I just thing. don't
0: know how he <laughs> was able to get out of the gem outside of the station, but couldn't do it inside the station. Like couldn't they have separated
2: so I feel like he was building out. I feel like he was like building up he was like draining energy from the station the whole time as he was moving it and then he would have exploded inside the, like the gem would have exploded inside the station
0: Oh and
2: no. that Right and so they, you know, as is typical in a Star Trek episode, they teleported it outside into space just at the last minute. <laughs> uh,
0: I just feel like that was very silly.
2: <laughs> it is. And it's the kind of silliness that I enjoy. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, I like the, I like the design of the spaceman man array. Um, you know, it's very, uh, I mean, not to get to a, a later segment, but it's, it's a very Star Trek thing to be like, okay, we have, like, here's our effects budget. We need to use it. In this <laughs> <fun scene.
0: laughs> I just laughed at them calling it embryonic life form. And then just like not elaborating on that at all. The, that's like what they <sighs> called
1: at the end of the episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's this this episode. I don't. I, don't,
0: I was I don't, laughing I at Quark o- almost getting all of that auction money, and then they were like, "Nope." <laughs> Transported outside. One million bars of gold, pressed platinum <laughs> was almost Quark's, but it was not.
1: But it wasn't though, because it wasn't a Q who did that bid, so he knew what was going to happen, or like you know, right. so I, think he had, I don't think he had any intention of of no. Paying, for sure. But I don't think Quark but... really knew what was
0: going. No, to no,
1: not at all not, at all,
2: not at all, not at all. <laughs> I'm so confused about the value of gold press Latinum because some of that stuff was going for like ten or twelve bars or whatever, and then we're like escalating. Like I, I, I have no concept for. <laughs> Like what the val like how many like how many bars of Latinum does do you need to get a gallon of milk? Which I know, you know, replicators and stuff, so it probably doesn't really matter, but it's the idea of Star Trek being like all of a sudden we're introducing money as a thing that is a recurring um, I just always very... thought
0: of it as like a regular gold bar. Like platinum. Yes. Yeah, so gold. so Latinum
1: it it has different sizes, right? So there's Oh
0: there's a slip. slips.
1: There's slips, strips bars and bricks i think
0: yeah so that it's, sounds it's, great
1: so it's it's kind of how i've understood it and if you're a star trek economist please tweet at us or email at us <laughs> to to confirm or deny my my non-financial understanding um
0: although to be honest like, when you say slips i also think nips and that is not related to <laughs> gold press
1: platinum. i mean <laughs> it could be who knows no no judgment we're we're a we're Fuck swerves and Turfs. Twer- sw- yeah. fuck Swerfs and Turfs. We yeah. <laughs> we support we support all folks on this episode, on this podcast. Justice no. uh, for
0: Janet Jackson. We um, continue.
1: Yeah, no, and and so like I've always understood it as kind of like not to invoke Dungeons and Dragons for the second time on this podcast. But I'll invoke Dungeons and Dragons for the second time on this podcast where it's, like, you have your copper, you have your silver, and you have your gold. Like, they're all currency. And, like, so many coppers or so many silvers equal – like, so many coppers equal one silver. So many silvers equal one gold. So I've always inferred that, like, you know, it's, like, your slips are your copper. Your strips are, like, your more common and things like that. So TLDR, I think you'd buy milk with, like, strips.
0: Do you think it's on a metric system where, like, it's like a ten ratio, like a ratio of
1: like one to ten. I mean, you're you're the you're our financial advisor on the pod race <laughs> with the inflation calculator. I do so.
0: have an associate's degree in accounting, so
1: so maybe maybe you can blog about the finance I'll have to look of, that up. of Star of Star of Star Wars of, of, <laughs> of Star Trek and things like that. I mean, not to no. mention that,
2: like, if, if Q did actually pay 1 million bars of gold Goldpress Latinum, it would totally, like, mess up the money supply situation.
0: <laughs> money's not I mean, real. all they money is just, fake anyway. Yeah, so if, they if can spaced, just print more.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: if, if Space God, or one of the Space Gods wants to just, you know, give someone all that money, I mean, money's fake anyway, so it probably would, you know, it'd be like GameStop. Basically Quark, or er, Q tried to GameStop Quark.
0: I finally understand the GameStop thing
1: now. So it's it's, it's kind of interesting, right? Because I'm enjoying talking about this episode with you both, and I did watching this episode.
0: Yeah, no, 100% agree.
1: All right. Well, I don't know about you folks, but uh, I'm feeling a little parched, so... I think we should move to our Altair Water Thirst Quencher. Altair Water being first mentioned by Dr. McCoy in Star Trek three, where he orders an Altair water at the bar, and you know, we're parched, we're we're really thirsty bitches. So Ryan, as as the guest, I'll I'll throw to you first, who who are you thirsting for this week?
2: Uh, I am mainly uh, thirsting for Vash, uh, because she's just she's a great character like we said she's very i feel like atypical for star trek she's a little there's a little indiana jones uh there's a a star wars character that was introduced a few years ago called dr afra who is also very similar to bash and that she is a archaeologist for fun and profit uh and so you know i i really enjoy uh any character who is sort of standing up to the federation even a little bit or at least challenging the status quo uh and the fact that she looks good doing it she enjoys um you know pushing people's buttons and being a flirt uh just just she's just a very fun presence in all three episodes that she's in elise what about you
0: um at first i wanted to say that afra is on my to read list so you've just pushed it higher on the list <laughs> with your description um i'm also thirsting for vash i love her hair her clothes her attitude Even her up to when she was wearing the blue suit was wonderful, but I was obsessed with that, like, tie-dye-ish looking jacket that she was wearing. I want to wear it, but I want to wear, like, hers. I don't want to wear, like, my own. Like, you know, in a movie when people have sex and then the next morning you wear the, like, the woman's wearing, like, the man's shirt. That's, that's what I want to happen. (laughs) <laughs> um, i really loved julian telling his story at the beginning in the cold open of the episode being like super dramatic and telling this bajoran woman about his doctor exams because she's just riveted and i would have also been riveted and i would have been fully aware that this man is bragging about himself and i wouldn't have cared he even made being a salutorian sound sexy He didn't make it to Valedictorian, but it's okay, because he told the story well. Anyway, I thought it was really cute. No, I just wanted to also mention that Julian flirting with Vosh is ridiculous, because she is his patient, and he clearly has no concept of medical ethics. So Julian, while cute, is also not always the best. Uh,
2: Bashir, this episode reminded me of... um... John uh, Ham's arc on Thirty Rock because I was like, "Does he actually know how to flirt, or is he just good-looking enough to get away with being bad at it?" Oh,
0: that is such a
2: good point. Because <laughs> the his lines with Vash, like it, the the chemistry was there between the two characters, but I was like listening to the dialogue, and I was like this is terrible.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was much more um, enamored by his story with the Majoran woman at the beginning.
2: Yeah, he did a good job of making his medical exam sound like he was, like, diffusing a bomb or something or, like, (laughs) being tortured. And, like, I was like, where's the story going? And he's like, that's how I passed my oral (laughs) examination.
0: I just feel like Julian and I would just have, like, a date where we just marathon James Bond together. I feel like that would be... Perfect for both of us
2: i think you would both have a wonderful time
0: yeah and then we'd watch godzilla afterwards <laughs> anyway matt who are you thirsting after
1: uh, i mean no one this week because the episode just put me in a bad mood
0: that is totally valid <laughs> i think i had that a couple episodes ago where there was no one i was feeling
1: like it, I mean, it's it's just fine, and I mean, I would I would generally, if you made me peck, I'd I'd have the same ones as, as you folks, but I mean, it's just uh, this episode's just meh.
0: Yeah, for sure. On that note, um, what is everyone's most Star Trek thing of the episode?
1: I mean, I just said it. I think this episode's meh. Yeah. and I mean, there's so much like Star Trek over the last what? What year are we? I'm turning 30, thirty-five. So the last fifty-five years, that uh, there's a there's a lot more meh Star Trek than there is good Star Trek or bad Star Trek. So um, that's probably my most Star Trek thing about this episode. But then also an unexplained um, space manta ray. And then ending with the joke of like Jillian being put to sleep is like oh, I felt like I've been sleeping for days. Like the idea of ending on a joke felt very the original series to me.
0: I laughed so much that that man's array was never explained. It was just, uh, it was really silly. I felt like also, and we've said I, we've said this earlier, and we've said this on past prologue. Just t- having TNG peeps show up to keep people interested but also it not working for me personally feels very star trek at this point uh
2: for me i think ultimately the most star trek thing is the way the episode starts where it's like Oh no! There's a, a shuttle in this case, runabout in jeopardy, and like we've done a lifeform scan, and we were only expecting two people, but there's three people on board. Like it's just <laughs> like the way that they just quickly set up, like, hey, a person came back from this thing, and that like they brought something, somebody unknown, and then it turns out to be a character we recognize, and it's the special guest star is very feels very Star Trek to me. Yeah, I
0: see that for sure.
1: And then also not using the transporter to solve the issue, like. Why, why couldn't they just beam them out of the runabout if the door was stuck?
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's like...
2: Yeah. I, I mean, and I for, the imp- sa- for the same reason they couldn't call the battery that they plugged in a battery. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Because <laughs> the plug demanded them to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did enjoy that Bishir immediately went to Dax. And she was like, I'm fine. Just... Go check on the other people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that was very, very Jezia to be worrying about everyone else over herself.
2: Well, I'm very Bashir to be like, I need to go to the hot woman first.
0: Yes, that's true. Also. <laughs> Does
2: anyone
0: All have right. anything else?
1: No, I, I, think, I think we did it. Um, I'm good. Ryan, thank you so much for for joining
2: us. This was was a blast. Yeah, by far more enjoyable than watching the episode (laughs) i mean the only thing that makes uh not great star trek better is talking about it with friends that you enjoy talking about things with so i i had a much better time recording this podcast than watching the episode as well
0: Seems
1: so ryan in in the meantime if folks wanted to catch more of your work where can they find more of you on the internet
2: uh, sure, you can find uh, all my work now through MovieJohn.com. That's M-O-V-I-E-J-A-W-N.com. Uh, we have a website and a print zine and a podcast network. Uh, I have two shows on that network right now. One of which is I Saw It in a Movie, where uh, my co-host and I uh, will get questions sent to us looking for advice, and we will go to movies for the answer. Uh, and then you can also find me personally on Twitter and Letterbox at Silver Whatever. That's uh, S I L B as in boy E R uh, whatever. <laughs> I <had> actually spelled <laughs> it out b- before. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Elise, what about you?
0: Um, you can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at, at Elise underscore Tendi. E L Y S E underscore T E N D I. And you can find the show on. Twitter and Instagram at PodWrites P O D W R A I T H S.
1: Great, and you can find me on Twitter as well at Hugh, MattyHugh M A T T Y H U G H. You can also catch me on my other podcast talking about Mad Men, Still Great Bob. We just finished season three at the time of recording this and are moving into season four. So by the time this podcast gets released, we will be in season four, which is my favorite season. So please, if you are watching Mad Men or want to revisit it, please come check us out over there. As always, thank you to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And thank you again one last time Ryan so much for Yes, thank for you. joining us. It was a blast.
0: I had a lot uh, of fun chatting with you.
1: Thank you for inviting
2: me. Hopefully we can do it again at some point in the future. I think
0: that
1: would be great. Well, we we have 7 seasons and like 170 <laughs> some episodes of Deep Space 9. So not not to stress myself out by this, you know, the potential length of this project in years and hours this is going to take up my life, but uh there's probably a pretty good chance that'll happen. So Excellent. All right. Until next time, computer and program.
0: Bye.